Welcome back to the channel, friends. I'm joined again by Master Philosopher King Aaron van Os. He is a busy body right now. He warned me offline already. So if he's not animated by the spirit tonight, it's all good. We love Thank him. Thank you for having me again. I <laughs> very much appreciate it. Good, good. I'm happy to have you. Your uh, your videos somehow do better than the other ones. So I don't know why. Just a little better. But um Aaron is speaking very soon at the Mannheim Festival. So if you're only tuning in for two minutes, this you should know. <laughs> can yeah, they still the, buy the, tickets? The Breakwater Festival in Mannheim. Can they still buy uh, tickets? Yeah, no? I think you can. You 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 can even buy them at the door. So, okay. Um, That's good. We can put the link in the description. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I'll put everything in there. Nice. Um, so basically, I want to ask my brother some questions. I told him offline that I have a log of questions for him that I update periodically. Um, and I have the same with some other thinkers if I ever get to speak to them. But I have the privilege of having this man's uh, blood. So makes it easier. I wanted to start with a pretty general question. And that is, what is the importance of truth to you? If um, at all, is it important at all, actually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's a, but I'm not entirely sure if I'm, if I've made up my mind about it, if that makes sense. Um, and so for instance, one um, quote by Nietzsche is we need art lest we perish from the truth um, so for him truth was could be very dangerous so in a sense like you know sometimes you could be um, how should I say it like he was afraid that sometimes the, the truth would take such a position that actually it would end up ruining life for people that it would end up ruining so for instance the 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 scientific um search for you know the final truths about the universe uh had the effect of undermining the belief in god and therefore the belief in morality and truth itself you know like so it's kind of like so this this the search for truth ends up undermining itself uh, and if that's tied in with uh you know i believe in that truth and therefore i ought to act morally then the search for truth ends up uh, debasing morality too you know so mm -hmm. it ends up undermining its, its 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 own importance the search for truth but then also uh the importance of morality so in that sense i'm i i kind of agree with him at the same time i'm uh i do think like true truth uh just like beauty and just like goodness are three transcendentals uh the true the good and the beautiful um and they are three pathways to an understanding of the transcendent and what i've come to appreciate is that you know that might for some people be leading them uh, to god but for others uh, it might not but it's clear that those are pathways because they all they they all all like are able to disclose a different aspect of ultimate reality mm -hmm. um as it and yeah so, so i think truth in that sense is is uh, is beautiful and uh, I, if I can, I'd like to speak a bit more on it. It's just um, one other way in which I've been very much influenced by uh, thinking about truth is from uh, Heidegger, I'd say. So he he looks at, uh, and this also like Everveke, he briefly discussed this in this series as well. Um, but I've read the works where he does this. Is he 
looks at truth as aletheia. So uh, aletheia, that, that, that means to cover something up. So truth is literally like a, a discovery. And that's also why it's like, it's a, it's a disclosure, like it, mm -hmm. truth as disclosure or truth as unhiddenness. So it was hidden and now it's unhidden. And he says that works better than like, let's say truth as correspondence, because the truth as correspondence really implies that, oh, you know, like there is this um, truth that is stable, like it corresponds to this ultimate reality. And therefore, you know, you, you now create this, whereas the truth is Alethea is really like, oh, this was hidden, mm -hmm. but now it's uncovered. And then that also means that it, it's just like phenomenology, what Peugeot always talks about, you know, like I can focus on you and therefore you, like a, a little bit of truth uncovers itself, but mm -hmm. necessarily other things you know, like they fade into the background and they yeah. cover themselves up again. So truth is also something that comes to you like in the present and 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 is here and now and um and therefore also might briefly go away again. Um and so 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 like there's many pathways to truth and some yeah. of them problematic and some of them very wonderful and actually very meaningful. So that's why I think it's a complex question. Yeah, but yes, guess... it does have a value. Okay, okay. Sure. Yeah, and I guess also we gotta be clear on what constitutes truth because i think a lot of people when they think they're speaking about truth they might actually be speaking about either a copy of truth or a plain falsehood because i was reminded while you were speaking of the idea of having a mystical experience and then after having had this experience to keep speaking about it or describing what you experienced and then it's actually no longer that experience itself it, it it ran away from you, so to speak. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. 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 How do we yeah. even know if we're dealing with truth when we're speaking about it? So yeah. Well, then... that, that that's like so that's also why we would need uh, you know, dialogue. It's like and or yes. Um I think so I, I, I recently um it's there's there's a great clip of Agnes Callard. Uh, it's a philosopher and John Fake is also a big fan of her. She wrote this book Aspiration, but she also has a brief uh clip out where she's tells about her love for Socrates and she thinks that Socrates is really the one and it's obviously via Plato but who introduced you know that that in us wanting to look for truth there is always a competition between you know you want to embrace certain truths but at the same time you know that's risky because you also want to avoid falsehood and yes. what if some of the truths you embrace like exactly. what you just said like you know what if you want to speak truthfully about your a mystical experience but then you're like no maybe this is a falsehood and it's constantly like competing or it's like mm -hmm. maybe you know i i think i should embrace the fact that there is an external reality and that i'm really talking to you right now but at the same time that could be false like technically i could be dreaming and there, there's this constant tension so it's not like so, so her point is it's not like avoiding falsehood and being committed to the truth are the same actually like they are constantly in conflict and she says like what socrates introduced was he was always talking to people and trying to take the opposite stance to them and being um how should i say it like he trusted the process you know of that dialogue as oh, opposed to like you know you're right or i'm right because all the way avoiding falsehood or all the way and, and i think she actually compares this to like to a court case is like you might be the defense attorney and I might be the prosecution and we're both pursuing justice together but precisely by doing opposite things because you know if we would yes, only see. be defending no one would be going to jail or if we would only be prosecuting everyone would be guilty so yeah. it's kind of like so I think it's a really nice analysis but sorry that's just it oh that, that's there's me. no apology needed for that it's actually clarifying a lot of things in my mind
to to look at the process as the actual truth instead of the the specific um mm-hmm. let's say images that we yeah. have that we seem to be following yeah or i would that... say like the, the process faci- facilitates the truth so, so i'm not sure if the process itself is is the truth it depends kind of what you mean by truth then but at least it will come up there and will never yes, come up I sort see. of in in a single person it's always uh, yeah right. and then we also have the the big difference between i don't know how i would describe it truth uh and the capital t truth or something that uh, uh, peterson and uh, sam harris spoke about the first time they uh, they had the mm-hmm. conversation where where sam was basically speaking about scientific truth let's say yeah and peterson was like but that's not exactly truth yeah exactly and and i also like and i think the most important thing and this is something that for and i would say wolfgang smith like they also also emphasize this is like it it also itself undermining because what happens then is that you you say that physical truth is the most important truth but what we know from a, a physical understanding of the world is actually that the most real thing we're, we supposedly know about are those you know little probabilistic processes of uh motion and yeah. where you have like the collapse of the wave function so that yeah. seems to be the only thing that's real and therefore you know what we're really experiencing is not real so that's not really true and that is really true and but then you know that oh, that's also confusing because as Verveke points out like we use certain instruments to measure that you know so we put faith in the instruments of disclosing truth to us and at the same yeah, time yeah, yeah. that leads to a conclusion that says like yeah but the instruments aren't really true <laughs> so it's kind of like very mm-hmm. interesting and he says like it just like we end up diminishing it all the way down like only the smallest thing is true it's like you can also do that the other way around only the biggest thing is true so yeah. it's you also have to be careful in that way with that regard yeah but uh for sure okay uh, do, do you think you can say anything that like about scientific truth truth as being actual truth because i mean at the end of the day there are images let's say of a greater reality or greater yeah. i don't i would say a more stable reality because everything is changing in the cosmos so so do you do you latch mm-hmm. on to anything and say this is this is true or do you just yeah yeah from that? yeah no i think i uh i'm just happy to um to live with like with different levels of truth but not just mm-hmm. like you know you have your truth and i have my truth and it's all great it's like no i i do mean like that it it, it's, it scales up hierarchically yeah. you know and you aspire to it yeah exactly that, that's also like you know when you get more in touch with reality you feel like you're getting to truer levels of reality um and but that makes me satisfied so i i noticed like where where the disconnect seems to be for many people is that they either want you know oh, I want it to be true, but I don't know for sure if it's actually true, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're like, it either has to be true or not. And it's kind of like, yeah, but it can also scale up levels of truth. And that's, and, and obviously scientific truth has a place there. It's just like that again is then grounded in another truth. Um, and that really scales up quite a long way. And obviously I, 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 we, as you already alluded to, we can't even disclose in words what the what the upper point of that would be, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, I yeah. guess we could refer to it, but we both know that that won't cover it. <laughs> no. Okay. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm satisfied with your, with your <laughs> answers, but I feel still that I'm, <laughs> I mean, we're still speaking in words, so I guess we're having some issues. No, we'll to have no, it's, 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 you know, it's like we, we are reusing a map to talk about a territory. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that's fine. 
That's fine. Like it, it is actually pointing to a territory. Exactly. And that's okay. But we're and not we can't saying get closer. it is the territory. We're not saying it is the territory. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that's fine. But it's still useful. It's not like oh, it's word, so it's it's useless. Like, yeah, no, 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 that's no, not. No. That's also not how I view it. It's it's yeah. just that I feel that it was one of my major insights years back, where I was like, whoa, the language thing is so limited in a way. But when you get it to refer beyond itself, it it, it can definitely help you get closer. Mm-hmm. And it's it's something that I find very interesting to observe, and also the yeah. the Bitcoin circles, <laughs> or the more like materialistic circles, where, for example, Robert Breedlove's show is called "What Is Money," and he's so obsessed by this question that it's taking him 400 episodes to even begin to answer the question. And I know he keeps like a log of um, answers to this question, and he's basically come down to the idea that there is no answer but that he's trying to get closer to it. And I think that's a beautiful way of describing huh? it's on every level. Like you don't have to confine yourself to just money. Yeah. This is this is true for most concepts, but the idea that you can get closer to them is I think very powerful because it means that it's actually useful to use these words. And I like, for example, the, the example that Verveke speaks about with justice where he says, take take the symbol, take, take Lady Justice in your mind and really try to ponder what, what justice is before you actually speak about it. Because we use, sometimes we use words without even realizing what they mean or their meaning is given by our, let's say, decadent version of the original meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah. Justice no. can be reduced to fairness, for example. And what is fair? Like we don't even speak about that. We don't even go yeah. back. We just assume everybody knows. Or capitalism is a big term. It's like what what is it actually? Let's let's talk about it because yeah, not not really uh, not really. Yeah, no, and, and, and that that's by the way another reason why I I like this so much. So like as opposed to like so you can also definitely do that with capitalism. But the nice thing about you know truth and beauty and goodness is like they go back millennia. So it's like so you can. Yeah. You can discover again all the um, all the intricacies, you know, like all the very intricate meanings uh, that have, like, uh, I should say, like, shown themselves uh, through time to be meaningful to people, and therefore that gives you a better idea of, like, as Raveki like says, you know, the, the the through line of of beauty itself, yeah. um, which is which cannot itself be. Uh, and th- th- that's like that's also I think useful is that that's yeah so I actually want to briefly respond to like your conversation with our dad it's like where uh, where you were asking about you know is something like the ground of being uh, God present in Exodus because it relates to this because on the one hand I, t- I totally want to state like obviously yes it, it is a very personalistic god and that's also that's actually an, an essential aspect of the christian faith that it's not just you know yeah. this abstract non-personal god so it's very important so i'm not disputing that but i also want to say that there are uh elements of the philosophical god and and, and I, I would say that um i should say it someone like uh what's his name uh thomas aquinas yes mm-hmm. i'm looking thinking of the the dutch name like he um he actually, yeah, it's Thomas von Aquino in Dutch, but his his understanding of uh, of God is is simple. It's like he's saying God is being. So we still have up to Aquinas the notion that God itself is being, which is like obviously he is a forefather of 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 uh, contemporary Catholic thought. 
And he says, like, that's why God's nature is simple. God equals being. Whereas, you know, like, we're already, like, divisions down. So, like, you know, we are being with form and therefore and matter and and there's there therefore like we are beings and therefore we're already less simple because we partake in being but we are more than that so for him it's actually like the divine simplicity is to exist and he says like and one of the his arguments because he makes all these good philosophical arguments why that should be the case but he also tries to make it uh scripturally sound and he refers back to you know what moses hears from the burning bush is like I am who I am or, or I am who, who I will be. And that's kind of like, yes, because God is just saying, is equating himself with, with being and becoming. It's because that's, that's God. Like that's just what God is for yeah. that matter. So I'm saying like, there is actually a lot of ground in there too. And I would also say like, if what you see through the Exodus lectures is that uh, what they try to uncover, because that's kind of what they do, you know, what, what someone like Peterson does with the psychological lectures is to say like, um, you know, uh, he, he is really almost reducing it, risking to reduce it, but he's trying to say that he's uh, treating it psychologically to say like, yeah, you know, if you go out, if you if you uh, free yourself from tyrannical oppression, then you're out in the desert. Uh, but that means, you know, like that you don't know how to live, like you, you, you lack all discipline. So therefore, freedom on its own, which relates actually to our previous discussions, mm -hmm. freedom on its own is not enough. It needs to be disciplined freedom and it needs to have other aspects and so not just freedom from oppression it's like no no no. what does it actually mean to be free and i would say in those aspects you also see you know like the, the i should say like the, the the ground of being because it's really about trying to discover like oh yeah how does reality lay itself out and that's way more fundamental than just like um well sorry I, it's complementary i should really be careful with my words it's complementary to the notion that God is a person who we can pray to and who we can, you know, uh, talk to and and conceptualize uh, personalistically. It's really to add to that, like, yes, but God is also a process of being that uncovers itself through our interaction with it. And therefore, God is the ground of being, you know? Yeah. So uh, I, I just wanted to add that to... Uh, <laughs> no, perfect, perfect. <laughs> to the is, the, uh, is the person an image? Oh, I... Uh, I, I find it so <laughs> difficult. I, I, okay. I, I would be inclined to say yes, because I'm, because I, I, because I would find it mm, difficult, like, just like, you know, it, there's this idea that actually uh, we shouldn't like that. If we make images of God, which is also why it rarely happens in the iconoclastic uh, traditions. It's like, we make images of Jesus and of other disciples, mm -hmm. but not really of mm -hmm. God because we risk reducing him to an image and that's yes. like oh and... I sh yeah go ahead yeah no, i think i, I think like... i misspoke yeah. okay is, yeah. is he a symbol because i think that's more accurate um well first of all obviously i don't know but uh if i have to think well let's say uh, i i i'll clarify why i said this is because an image can be false or at least lesser than it always is lesser than actually image mm -hmm. versus a form, but a symbol can refer beyond yeah, and toward. And so that is why yeah. I think the symbolic understanding rings most true to me. Yeah. And it no, makes I, sense for me. I, I, and that's why I, I do think it's really beautiful to see how, you know, the symbol of the Christian cross has carried so much meaning because it is 
referring and i think you put that very beautifully like it's referring beyond itself and to itself at the same time yeah um and so probably it is that case um i think i think there's definitely something to be to be said for what you're alluding to here but i um yeah i want to be very careful like i okay, I, okay. I really i i think there is really good arguments um like on the theistic side like both for uh, um divine personalism so like that have a personality attached to god and those that argue against that that still believe in god but don't think that god can be uh, a person of some sorts um mm. and but I'd, I'd obviously totally agree with uh what our data said in terms of like psychological research that it helps to conceptualize yeah, yeah. god as a yeah, person yeah. but does that make the person real or at least the, the symbol of the person does it make it real to you is it real? Um, and then maybe this is more blurry than I'm making it out to be because, you know, sometimes we want to measure real. You know, I would, I would again say it, it does have to do with, with, with the levels again. Okay. okay. Uh, so real in that sense is true. And therefore I would say that, you know, the fact of calling, you know, God a loving father and, you know, that's how you contrast it a little bit. I know, you know, it's it's problematic to say Old Testament God is, you know, yeah. a war God and the New Testament God is, is loving. But I, but it does seem to be the case that the New Testament nonetheless more strongly emphasizes the, the loving fatherly aspect of God and the Old Testament God does so far less. Actually, you know, like Jesus referred to him as a father and uh, it doesn't seem to be as strongly the case in the Old Testament. Um, but actually by doing so, he, he gives God more... Uh, symbolically and psychologically um feminine elements in the new testament whereas in the old testament he was more associated with masculine elements um so in that sense i would say it's very useful to grow to grow up with the image of a loving father because you're kind of having the ideal parent and that sounds some people will misinterpret that and say like the ideal parent is a man. I'm, I'm precisely trying to say like the ideal parent is the ideal combination of masculinity and femininity. Yeah. Um, and um, which can be very useful. And and I would also say it's in that sense, like I, I, I do think a little bit scientifically and I'm partly inspired by our dad for this is like, you know, chances are actually higher. You'll grow up with just your mom as opposed to just your dad. If, that happens to be the case so you know because like your mom is, is pregnant and your dad might have ran off in the in the nine months in between yeah so yeah, yeah. if that's the case then it also makes sense that you um compensate that with like with a masculine image uh even though that masculine image then is full of feminine attributes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so like i i just wanted to to add that, that like that I, I think there's all these good reasons why we conceptualize god this way uh and that at the same time that if you then, you know, like as you talked about that Wolfgang Smith has the esoteric exoteric um, distinction as well, like you at some point move up and then you you're also okay with conceptualizing God in different ways, not because the old way was wrong, but because you recognize that there are different levels to the divine. Yeah, uh, I see what you mean. Yeah, so uh, that's so, a good answer. Yeah, so so you don't you don't deny the former. You just you just build upon it in some ways. Okay. Oh. I like this. Uh, this was this was one question. So um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm really thinking what I'm most interested. In. Okay, I'm I'm just gonna do this one first. 
Is there such a thing as being spiritual but not religious? Does it exist in your book? Is it possible? Because, um, yes. Okay. Well, I've been following the Symbolic World podcast, of course, as of you. And many times <laughs> he makes fun of this idea, spiritual but not religious. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I see his good friend and colleague, John Verveke, start or popularize a movement that is explicitly not a religion. Mm -hmm. A religion that is not a religion. You should always add the first part. It's a religion that is not a religion. That's not the same as just not a religion or the same as just religion. It's a religion that is not a religion. Yeah, why don't you why don't you briefly explain it again? Because I know you've done it before, but it still messes with my mind. It's like <laughs> saying a potato, but it's not a potato. Yeah. He's trying to um to acknowledge both the fact that many elements of religion cannot be replaced by something else. But he is also trying to say that there are so many elements we now associate with religion which makes it which makes it makes it an impossible option for us to go back to so he's saying we can't you know we can't get rid of it like we need it you know in some ways like we need so many aspects of it but we also can't fully embrace it and he's like because you know the full embrace of it will end up being nostalgia driven uh but getting rid of it will end up being utopia driven like we need to acknowledge that we both Need, so so he, he just admits that there is a paradox um, okay. and that Fair. is yeah sometimes annoying but i also see like you know like i, I see why he's trying to do that and and i also think it, it's clever you know it's just, i i know he's not trying to be like strategic he's, he's not like a, a grifter or something like that but i i still think it's smart from his position that he's like yeah i'm really trying to give everyone their due you know Like everyone who's coming show up. Yes, yes, you're right. Sure. Religion is problematic. Or like, yes, you're right. We need religion. <laughs> It's like <laughs> Okay, okay. But so so can you be spiritual without being religious? Even yeah. even not the Trevaki type of religious. I guess I guess it depends on what is meant by spiritual, but I do know that many people think that they're in uh that they um they experience spirituality, but you know religion the, the one of the various etymological meanings that is often emphasized is to bind you know like to be bind back. bound to reality yeah um and i don't see those people as being bound so like so so there's like so they 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 pick and choose what they like of spirituality they might take a little bit of the buddhist tradition or a little bit of uh -huh. the christian tradition but they're not actually bound by it so like so so they can still do what they want they can uh i don't know for instance like uh they 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 could be interested in some christian mysticism but they can sleep around you know like that's yeah, that yeah, would be technically I think okay it's also a bit of a semantic issue yes well that that's by the way like even <laughs> even sam harris has said it like yeah i kind of want to keep spirituality alive in the sense that he is doing all these meditation practices but <clears throat> it is the word spirituality and sam harris obviously doesn't believe in spirits so because where is the spirit yeah we can't see it we can't observe it like Show it to me, you know. So what do you what uh, do you make of that, by the way? Do you think that he is he is denying things to himself, or do you think he really believes? <laughs> like I, I I'm just I'm just really confused by Sam Harris at this mm -hmm. point. Because mm -hmm. when he speaks about heaven as a as a place 
that he wants yeah. to find with his microscope. I oh, sorry with this uh, telescope. I don't because I have. It's funny because um, an episode comes up to my mind right now. He spoke with Glenn Lowry, and Glenn oh, yeah. Lowry is a African American thinker who used to be a Christian. Now at a later age, he's become an atheist. And I heard them speak together. And basically they're both like bashing God, or at least Glenn is trying to bash God. And then he asks Sam, like, is there a way for you to, to still see validity in this concept? And he's like, well, maybe God could be, and then Sam starts to try to like, like describe this. And I'm like, dude, you are no atheist. Like, are you not yeah. realizing what you're describing right now? Like and he, <laughs> he meditates all the time and he tries yeah. to get into these states, but he, he refuses to acknowledge. And I think now that I've listened to him more also on the, the recent war that has broken out, I think it's just, he's so scared of the totalitarian impulse in the religious <laughs> that he will never ever, even if, he gets there by argument. He will never ever admit it to himself. But what do you think? Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I really largely agree. I also find Sam Harris a puzzling figure. I, um, I'm inclined to say that yes, he would be totally like you said that there are many things that Jesus has said that are quite beautiful, um, but I happen to not find him that interesting um, in some ways. Because I, 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 that's also what you notice when he has some of these discussions, when he gets challenged, he really tries to bring it back down yes, to yes. like, you know, a, a level that everyone can understand and you know, speak in terms mm -hmm. that everyone can agree on, which means that we rarely ever get to explore beyond that. Uh, and therefore, like he tries to do that then in, in his meditation. And there's something to be said for that. So for instance, the philosopher David Hume, who by... Uh, he's probably like obviously influenced by a little bit, but um, he has a, a sensual understanding of reality. So he doesn't actually believe in the power of reason that much. He thinks there's, I know Sam Harris does. So in that sense, they, 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 they differ, but he believes that, that our sentiments are far more important, far more telling. So he also says like, you know, there's no such thing as Hume says, there's no such thing as like an objective uh objective moral wrongdoing or something like that it's really like you can just have an experience of a sentiment in you <laughs> you know you feel that harm is being done but it's just a sentiment it's not like there's nothing objectively going on uh, so so hume is fascinating but also a dangerous thinker i would say but one of the main aspects that i nonetheless find um find somewhat convincing him in him and makes me a bit more uh, sympathize, sympathetic to his project is that he says like, I know this, that, you know, because he's so focused on these sentiments, he says like something like religion more easily captures, you know, us. So like, therefore it has stronger sentiments. And that also means that it is actually a little bit more dangerous. Whereas philosophy, and that was before, you know, Marxist philosophy. So I'm um, trying to say like 17th, an eight, 18th century philosophy for him it leads to mild sentiment so it's really like you know if we're gonna have a skeptical argument um you know we don't feel like oh but i'm right you know like i'm right it's it could be that with a way but actually like it's it's more easily that it stays more civilized and therefore hume notices like okay like his main quote which i think centuries later was proven wrong but he says generally speaking uh the what is like the errors in religion are 
dangerous those in philosophy are only ridiculous you know and his point is like yes like we can actually like it can be super dangerous to think so religiously because like like we'll 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 be angry with each other for disagreeing on certain things you don't have that with philosophy i think that's what sam wants to get to to that kind of world in some ways and he is super scared of religion actually you know uh creating like all these dogmas among people and setting them against one another. But at the same time, I think what's also clear is that philosophy has done a very similar thing, that rational discourse can do a similar thing if we mean rational in the sense in which Sam Harris means rational, so not the way John Verveke means rational. Um, and I would say it, it clearly shows that, you know, like that that was clear from his uh, responses to recent cultural phenomena where he was very uh, fed up even though he meditates every day and where he created actually a lot of people against him you know like very and not just from religion but people that responded from political convictions so and that kind of shows like Sam is not actually against religion he's just against you know that which leads to political action uh, and therefore like he's against indeed the dogmatic religions that that motivate people to start killing other people and therefore you know that's why he's against uh islamic extremists but he wants to be consistent and say like i'm also against christian extremists but they're just less dangerous you know and he still finds them a little bit dangerous because he doesn't want them to you know dominate the uh the american government but not as dangerous as islamic ex extremists for him um so yeah, I don't know. Like, there wasn't really a full-on answer to your question. It was question. great. I like <laughs> it. I love the tangents. It's amazing. I've actually grown quite fond of uh, Sam Harris as a uh, as a person. I, I grow fond of a lot of people that I really disagree with. It's um, mm. it's this thing yeah, where I, I mean, start... I, I, I sometimes <laughs> listen, listen to his podcast. So, like, I'm yeah, not, it's not, great. <laughs> I, and, and I li listen to interviews with him. I find him, uh, in some many issues, very clear thinker. So, it, yeah. yeah. No, for sure. I agree, and I he he does pursue truth, and that's uh, that's something yeah. that I think. Was I mean, to 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 a limited degree, <laughs> I would say so. He's kind of like you know, if we go up levels, then he is like, let's stay here. That's kind of like what he's, yeah. he's trying to do, and he's trying to get us to get many people from here to there, but he's not allowing himself to get from here to there. Like I'd say, you know, let's give him some. Uh... Oh no, actually, already did that mushrooms but <laughs> yeah but he's never he's never to take an ayahuasca or something like that so okay. that's very interesting no it's just I, I was saying it because i speak to so many people that i really disagree with mm -hmm. and some of them are like good friends of mine because in many ways i care so much more about the way people behave than what they believe and you know i just i just realized that that there's beauty in that and also i I find my conversations with people that I disagree with much more entertaining, usually, and I'm also much more curious as to like yeah. how yeah, they yeah. how they respond to disagreements. I find that always super interesting, yeah. and to see if they've spoken to people that they disagree with that they have yeah. disagreed with before. Because I don't know if you watched the debate between Douglas Murray and Matt Taibbi on one side, and then Malcolm. Yeah, Glad I've seen yeah. I've seen sections of it. Yeah. So recently but I got really into these thing. debates. I thought it was super interesting because Malcolm Gladwell basically has to argue that mainstream um what you call it media, media. is is still trustworthy. Yeah. And you just notice that he's rarely ever spoken to anyone outside of his bubble. 
And that's why yeah. I can't debate them. Like he's really bad at it. Mm-hmm. So I find it super interesting to find people that. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think uh, if I remember correctly, it's like it actually sweep the audience. Like it, it, it had a record of sweeping the audience towards Douglas Murray's and Matt Taibbi's side, yeah. you know, like it, like, so it was unparalleled that so many people had changed their opinion during the debate yeah. to the <laughs> skeptical. Yeah, and it was super, enter- it side. was super entertaining. It was really, but I, I, to be fair, I also find that a little bit annoying because I, I like that he was like, you know, uh, what was it like Metiabi? You know, like he was he kept calling them Metiabi as opposed to Metaibi, and, and he kept, called him Doug as opposed to Douglas. You know, yeah, so like it... <laughs> kind of provoke a little bit, and that's also why Douglas was like, "Sorry, Malk," you know, which is kind of funny. But I was also like, "Yeah, okay, you know, we're we're twelve. Yeah, we're 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 lowering the the level. Yeah. In that sense, I find it interesting because something I repeated to speak about recently, and that is that um, the Babylon B guys they interviewed John Jonathan Peugeot at some point. Yeah, and it was almost like this satire game that they were playing with him, and he was kind of going along with it. And I feel like this is continuing that on the people, on the side of the people that are supposed to be like really serious and fixing problems, it's almost turned into a comedy show because the world has turned into South Park. So mm-hmm. this dance is often a comedic one, and I think mm-hmm. that a serious dance is um, yeah more and more needed because of that. Because like, yeah, if you're not able to take this seriously, then like comedy is good, but it should be on the on the outskirts. Yeah. I feel. And we yeah, no, I've I've actually like so I think you and I like are both equally puzzled, puzzled and annoyed by uh, Jordan Peterson's behavior on Twitter, which is uh, we can't stand it. You know, like it's 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 awful, <laughs> right? He knows then, it. He, he said that he knows it. Yeah, exactly. Like we can all agree, it's it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> no one can defend it, uh, and at the same time, like I know that some people say that, uh, or at least some people have argued that he is um, embracing his role as a trickster figure in some ways. You know that he he's okay with that. Yeah. I well, I mean, like. Okay, that brings me depends. to a, actually to a to a question I have, which is perfect. I was thinking about it today because I'm trying to visualize the world, and no one helps me with that more than Jonathan Pajot. So why don't you tell me what the carnival is and why don't you tell me what happens when the carnival ends? Oh yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Because I remember you telling me about this for the first time, let's say two years back or something. Yeah. I was at the train station and you sent me this quote of a book and I'm seeing it all play out, let's say. So Mm -hmm. take it away. I I don't have it as clearly in front of me, but I can tell you as as well as I remember is that the carnival, like, so also... Uh, in the Netherlands, we have a carnaval tradition in uh, the south of the Netherlands. It's very useful. I first studied it actually uh, when I took some anthropology courses. Um, and it's re- really this moment of uh, temporary uh, reversal or inversion uh, to actually, and, and that actually ends up, uh, I should say, like justifying the the normalcy, you know? Yes. So it's like, like so by... The fact that everyone, so I'm just going to speak to to the Netherlands now, so, and then I'll get to history and what Peugeot says about it. The fact that everyone gets to dress up, you know, everyone is drunk, you know, like and it's all these silly songs that is actually reminding everyone that like, this is crazy life. And therefore, when this is over, we go back to normal life. So actually, it has this way of uh, creating the much needed release of tension because people, you know, like actually normal life is very oppressing. 
if you have to go to your office every day, you know, you have to dress well, you're constantly worrying about like, oh yeah, like people are looking at me and therefore I should probably dress somewhat, somewhat nicely, you know, so, and, and obviously you, you should be polite, you shouldn't be loud, you know, all these things. So, and, and if you are loud, that people will say, stop being so loud, you know, like, so we're all getting in line and therefore we're actually building up tension throughout the year. And that's why the carnival tradition for so many is so great because they're like, and now we can reverse it, but actually that helps them to then go back to their normal life and, and to accept, you know, their usual position in society. And that's, so if we then go back, because indeed like this tradition has a super long history um, going at least back to uh, medieval times is that it would also do the same for hierarchical positions. So right now, you know, we live in many democratic uh, countries and therefore this is a little bit less needed. So we don't really need, you know, a king to partake in the carnival. Um, but back then, you know, power was far more hierarchical. So it was really like, you know, you have the king and they have his subjects. Mm -hmm. And therefore with carnival, you would just, so if, if you have like that kind of hierarchy, you would just invert it. You'd have the 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 king be kind of the fool, you know, and people could make fun of the king. Uh, and therefore also actually people that were usually at the lower like substrate of society where therefore you know they were honored uh, so sometimes like you know slaves were honored in that sense but i think what very dark twist that uh Peugeot alluded to and i know it it's it, it's the case in some carnival traditions is that at the end of the festival the slave gets killed you know it's just like that's when it's it's over saying mm. okay and now that was fun and then they kill the slave um which is just kind of just to show like now we go back to normal power. Okay, guys, we have to realize that this was the carnival. Now it goes back. So now we again show where the power is. We kill the slave. We kill the person who we... And even if, like, you know, he's not actually physically killed, there's still this point of, like, now we make very clear this can no longer happen. Now we go back to our normal hierarchical interrelation that we usually have. And then we'll do this again in a year, you know? So it does a cycle. And... Well, I mean, I can also relate it to our current culture, but that was uh, the short answer. That was beautiful. <laughs> and I know that uh, the carnival used to go hand in hand with fasting beforehand, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But so now therefore we you would have access yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. to the carnival. Yeah, yeah now um, we don't fast anymore. We just yeah. party. Yeah, or, or I think what Peugeot said, like that Halloween usually would be, <laughs> which is actually relevant to you, because I, I hear that said uh, that your partner is very uh, fond of Halloween. But it, it used to be the case, you know, like you'd 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 uh, create like all these monsters in the house, you know, and then yeah. you'd have this tradition of, uh, I should say, like submitting yourself to the evil spirit. And that would seem like satanic like that exactly but then you know that would then be uh i should say like uh there would be a variation on that by then submitting yourself to the good spirits to like it also has this function of being like oh yeah what is actually evil and what is actually good but now we only still do one of the two yeah <laughs> which as i'm not criticizing you obviously but i'm saying like as a society that is kind of crazy no yeah. for sure for sure um, okay well you said that the, they killed a slave what yeah. what does the killing the slave mean? And and by the way, the carnival I think today did this this metaphor or the way of speaking about it. It applies to everyday life. It seems. Mm -hmm. I think that was also the point. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That he was trying to make. And yeah. so when the carnival ends, supposedly here, I think it will be even more abrupt or or damaging. Let's say. So what does killing yeah. the slave mean on a societal scale? 
Well, yeah, I was just reminded, like, uh, this is just a parallel that came to mind, like, that on a personal scale, it could really also be, like, you know, the hangover after uh, a heavy night of drinking. Oh, yeah. Kind of in that way. Um, but I would say on a societal scale. So I think he also alluded to it when you saw that uh, Will Smith um, beat uh, Chris Rock at the Oscars. Yeah. It was kind of like one of these moments, like the end of the carnival, because... Mm -hmm. It has this way of, you know, like we're clouds and we make fun of everything and like we don't care. We don't have any values. You know, it's fun. Haha. Yeah. We can just make fun of everything. That's kind of our our society right now. So like it doesn't matter. You do you. And therefore, the moment that Chris Rock and, and uh, so I, I know that everyone sided with Chris Rock and I and I understand why. And there it's very problematic, like the relationship between Will Smith um, and uh, what's her name? Jada. Yeah, Jada Smith, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, but nonetheless, I, I found it very interesting that, you know, like that, that he really, he provoked it a little bit. And that is, that is a touchy subject matter because, you know, you know, that they have this, you know, this, this, this tension in between them. And therefore you're like, yeah, are we just going to go along at pretending this is still the carnival, you know, like to say like, yeah, ha, ha, we don't care. We don't care about our relationship. Or is this actually a moment like, no, we're done with it, you know, because at some point there comes this impulse, like we've been crazy for long enough. And that means that victims will uh, start to uh, number up or pile up in some ways, because that yeah. means that actually, oh, <laughs> you thought you were running the show. Well, no, you aren't. And like, that's kind of what happened when Will Smith hit Chris Rock in the face. But you can see it in different ways that it's like, OK, nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, your try or you, for instance, you saw it uh, at the start of COVID when it's like when Justin Trudeau said about Canada, like diversity is our greatest strength. But at the moment that the virus popped up, it's like, okay, we have to cross, close all the borders and only vaccines for us. We'll give it later to other people. So it's yeah, really yeah. like, it's kind of this moment, like, okay, yeah, we can play it well and fun. But actually when it comes to it, it's like, no, no, no. It's just, we're going to show you who's in power. And actually we're also going to like, okay, I'm going to talk about the truckers instead. Yeah, yeah. Now, but yeah. So no, no, no. I mean, like I, oh. I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm just saying like, you could all make all these arguments that no, for sure. governments such as the Canadian one ended up showing some authoritarian kind of uh, principles, kind of, I don't know, like it really started coming up in a somewhat scary way uh, during COVID for some people. I know that's a bit controversial to, to say, but I think in retrospect, uh, many people acknowledge that that is true. And then the defense of that can also be, yes, but we had no idea what kind of threat we were dealing with. So um, I know there's a nuance to this. I'm just saying like, you know, when it really comes down to it, when the carnival is over, they'll yeah. show you who's in power. And, you know, you better either you be on their side, but that might sometimes be sacrificing your ideals or your love of truth, you know, and that's kind of... Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I point all of this out or I, I brought it up because... I think it's important to focus on what bugs you. And part of what bugs me today is today I was watching a highlight of an entertainment show, a Belgian one, actually, <laughs> randomly. I don't know why the algorithm has a mysterious way of working uh -huh. to me. And I was just watching it and there's just a bunch of like middle-aged people and it's supposed to be kind of an intellectual show. And the number of like, sexual jokes and just like it was just so like and i'm i'm a I'm yeah. just, i was just a teenager like i i know i know this talk yeah it was all middle-aged people like some of them just openly speaking about having three ways and stuff and like mm -hmm. it was just I, I was just listening to it i was like oh my god like is this real <laughs> is this actually yeah, like yeah, mainstream yeah. it was like yeah and then i think about the average 
you know, Dutch person here who's like, yeah, that's all good, you know, <laughs> you know, it's good, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, live exactly. your life, do whatever you want. And yeah. it feels that that's something that bugs me because I feel like people just don't realize the, the gravity of the Hakuna Matata lives they're living. Mm -hmm. Like they don't really realize they're not facing up to the responsibility that they were made yeah. to you know? <laughs> like, Yeah, and it's also like, and it's so funny that, you know, we entertain all these things like, you know, I guess marijuana can have some positive effects and all that but you kind of you, like everyone knows that in some ways you know weed is bad for you and obviously yes you know exceptions and you know people that deal well with it but you also know lots of stoners you know like that actually abuse it and therefore it ends up becoming a problem and they end up becoming addicted to it so it's kind of like it's this way like well actually it, it doesn't have to be that bad but that doesn't and then they're trying to dispute the you know the common wisdom that oh weed is bad but it's like well actually the wisdom was there for a reason because it warrants lots of people who yeah. will not deal with it so well and that's kind of the same thing with all these uh yeah, like the the, the se sexual freedom for some people that might actually be a, a life that's possible for them you know but for many people it won't and it will not make them fulfilled so it's nice oh, yeah. that they're allowed to do it but it doesn't mean that you'll get fulfillment out of it yeah for um, sure and so, i feel like no one is telling them that it's bad like no one is judging them so they don't i feel like a lot of people they i don't know why i had to start today i think a lot of people kind of want to hear that what they're doing is kind of irresponsible but everyone around them in society is 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 affirming that what they're doing is fine mm -hmm. like it's fine you're on your fourth wife or whatever like this so just happens like why do you think that that they want people to tell them it's irresponsible i think because people have conscience have a conscience mm -hmm. And I think their conscience is kind of telling telling them, but they dumb it out by listening to the current societal standard. Mm -hmm. So I think people will want to believe that morality is culturally defined, but that there's something within that is screaming at them. <laughs> like, you know, you, you brought up the example yourself, actually, in one of our conversations about one of the postmodern writers who got like dreams telling him like, burn your work. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Like. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. And he just admits <laughs> that it. <laughs> yeah. That that's so kind funny. of how I feel about. It. I think people just at, at in a deeper level they kind of want to hear like yeah, they, they know what some of the things that they're doing are wrong, uh, and and I'm no different. Like I have a lot of uh, <laughs> sins, but I think for me it's important to to own up to them and then to to ask for forgiveness. But that process is not happening. The redeeming process is not there anymore. Because what yeah. is there to redeem? You're just, everything's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with doing this or there's nothing yeah. wrong with, like, I hear that so often. Do you think there's anything wrong with this? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, something, <laughs> for sure, something is wrong. Yeah, but that, but that's also because of, like, really our impoverished understanding of what it means to sin, you know, like, because now we associate sin with this weird sort of fundamentalist Christian right-wing concept of, like, you are the sinner, you know, and therefore yeah. you're going to hell or it's like, uh you know or, or like how some uh fundamentalist christians talk about homosexuality like you know hate the sin not the sinner <laughs> it's kind yeah, of like yeah, yeah. so so yeah, that's the association with sin whereas mm -hmm. indeed like as, as we all know like it starts way back and, and even like you know I, i'm teaching uh aristotle's nicomachean, nicomachean ethics as well and he also says like you know we need to find you know the the middle road like uh, the golden mean in between the vices of excess or of deficiency like you need to find the golden mean in between that and he says like because hitting the target 
that's the difficult part. Like missing it, that's easy. And therefore, you know, you get hamartia, like as uh, a, a Greek word, which is indeed then related to like hitting the mark. And then yeah. that gets translated as, you know, the eventually like uh, the word that we'll refer to as sin in the Christian tradition. And that's something that we can all live with. It's like, yeah, we, how many of us constantly hit the mark? Like just like every moment of the day, nailed it, nailed yeah. it, nailed it, nailed exactly. it. No, no one lives that way. So in that sense, you know, it, it, it makes a lot more sense to, to then own, like, as you say, own up to it and acknowledge like, yeah, we are all sinners but not in the way like, you know, we're doomed or we're going to hell. It's like, well, yeah. I guess, you know, what, whatever you mean by hell, if you mean, if you have a certain understanding of hell, then yes, sinning eternally will make you go to hell. Mm -hmm. But it really depends on what you mean. And therefore, like, I totally agree that if you own up to it, you just acknowledge like, yeah, that demonstrates my imperfections. And it's something that I want to remind myself of and I want to grow in and develop in. And I do want to hit the mark. Like I do want to nail it, but I, rarely make it but i know that if i train myself i can do it you know and that's yeah um so i totally agree with you there, there's nothing that helps me more than doing that to be honest yeah there's really yeah. nothing more that, that uh, nothing that helps me more than just owning up to mm -hmm. my shortcomings and then basically asking for help mm. that is by far the most powerful thing and i try to focus on my limitations so that i can move closer to that limitless yeah. self that that does exist in my in my book mm. or or christ if you want to conceptualize it like that mm. so yeah that's i guess why why it bugs me i just mm. uh well it's also like you know the alternative is if you just say like oh you do whatever you want there is no mark right so it's yeah. like so how would you ever know if you hit the mark because it's like you were never trying to aim for it so and and, and then you know like okay so let's say let's say there is a mark but you don't know where the mark is. You're not trying to aim for it. Then probably you're not hitting it yeah. because how big is the chance of you hitting the mark when you have no clue where the mark is? Like, you're just kind of like, okay, you know, for that's, sure. Uh, yeah. Man, so. I've been, um, I don't know why I've been really obsessed with Disney villains these days. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to that's bring great. this up. I, I've been like, uh, <laughs> it's I tried... a funny segue. <laughs> yeah. So I, we're just talking about sin and evil and stuff like this. And yeah. I'm listening a lot to Disney villain soundtracks. I have a whole uh, oh. playlist that I listen to. Like Scar? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. The Be, Be Prepared song is one of the best songs in my mm. book ever made. And even the modern version I like a lot. Why do I speak about this? Is that I was wondering if this is like a bad thing that I'm doing. This is something I would normally do offline, speak to Aaron about this because it's kind of like a fresh thought. But <laughs> so we talk. <laughs> this is how it goes. Um, but you ask my uh, my partner, and she'll tell you that I'm constantly singing these songs. Anyway, because Jung speaks about um, integrating the shadow, yeah. So being aware of the evil that lurks within, and trying to integrate it somehow, yeah, for for, for good. And then I know that Peugeot is like, but it could be demons, <laughs> you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, so yeah. what do you think about this? Like, I'm trying to channel it for good, for sure. Like, I'm trying yeah. to, is it, is it good to expose yourself to some some of the poisons to make yourself immune? Yeah. Or do you think it just turns you into a well, Peterson uh, on Twitter? Like, so I, I can say, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, like, obviously, like, there's always that risk. But I, I do remember that at some point, 
Jonathan Peugeot, he was also defending doing all these movie analyses when he was doing a lot of them because he was obviously acknowledging like, okay, it seems counterintuitive, right? Like I say these, so many of these movies are propaganda. Many of these movies have evil elements, but he's saying like, but I'm aware of it. And that's the point. So I'm not, I'm trying to be, you know, conscious while watching it of trying to see what actually points towards, you know, the pattern that brings me closer to truth and those actually that, bring me closer to vices and uh and by doing that he's like yeah therefore i don't think i'm as affected by it than someone who goes in it mindlessly and that's that's also the the difference and and, and i know like this goes as far as like that some people i actually had a talk with marnix about it, a friend of mine the other day is like that some people even you know they can do that even with uh physical things like that they they can take certain substances like they can uh, smoke cigarettes and take drugs because they know very well what they're doing. Like they're very conscious of what they're doing constantly. Yeah. And that actually, it doesn't seem to affect them as much as other people who just like do it mindlessly. Uh, so I'm not trying to say like, therefore, you know, just know, just know what you're doing and take whatever drugs you like. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying there's definitely some truth of if you know what you're doing. Yeah, um, but I think drugs are also a little bit different because like if you do a little bit of cocaine, it's not necessarily going to help you unless mm -hmm. maybe you're doing a study or some sorts. Mm -hmm. But I... I do feel like I'm learning a lot trying to um, taking the perspective, take the perspective of the evil mm -hmm. of the villain, let's say. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so it might yeah. be a bit different, but I don't know. No, I, tangent. I, I, I don't know. No, I just no, wanted no. to I, ask and, and you this. I do. I, I, so I, I actually, I, I do want to keep talking about this because I, I find this very interesting because I'm also struggling with this myself because I okay. totally agree that especially like, you know, those movies, like the, what, what makes many of those, uh, like DC movies, for instance, like the, the the Dark Knight trilogy movie, is so good is that especially like the second one, obviously with the oh, Joker, yeah. is like they really they really allow you and motivate you to start thinking a little bit like him, uh, and by doing so, you're actually aware of what's at stake, and therefore you even more appreciate, you know, yeah, the, the countering thing, and that's and they do that, I guess, to some extent with some villains in the marvel universe like they do it a little bit with thanos but actually i i i can already understand him a little bit less so like for instance like so thanos was actually also a popular villain because he says like you know it's fair like there's not enough resources he was a brilliant i thought he was so brilliant yeah no he, he was he was he was so like he was still very charismatic but I'm, I'm i'm still trying to say at least like this from my perspective right yeah, yeah. Uh, is that his point eventually was you know we should just <laughs> make sure that half the people disappear yeah, and but, therefore we have enough resources. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just want to say one thing about that is that mm -hmm. it was, I thought it was so brilliant because it's precisely taking the logical uh, conclusion of the policies some people are trying to install. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. Okay, but okay. Sorry, what was interesting is that I think, so So, so I, I totally agree that, that, that actually like, in some ways they showed there's some evil to it. But uh -huh. at the same time, what they were trying to do is trying to say like, actually, this is a totally reasonable perspective. And there, so, therefore, you as an audience viewer are going to buy into it because you think he's right. But it's like, but if you actually think about it, like, you know, fairly quickly that he's wrong, that he has yeah, to Yeah, it's wrong. pretty obvious. Whereas yeah. with the Joker, it's like, oh, no. But like, you can actually really get into it and be like, he might actually be right. And he's like, there's such compelling arguments there that is like, whoa, there's actually something to be said for what he wants you know yeah. and i have to, i obviously have the same to some extent with nietzsche that i'm sometimes like he might be right you know in a kind of scary way yeah how are you gonna um, impede <laughs> yourself from uh from drinking uh 
out of your boot. Yeah. How are you going to do that? Do you have uh, mechanisms in place? Um, yeah, I try to stay grounded and I talk to family members like you and, 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 and friends and I, and I have students who so like, I, I, I'm trying to aim up and, uh, and discuss that with other people. So I guess those are my mechanisms. Uh, and I know that it, that I, I'm counterbalancing it with so many like good influence and I would also say good ritual. So I don't, so like, I think we, you and I both know from our background is that it's one thing to have these propositions and it's another thing to strengthen them with the kind of rituals you do with yeah. it, you know? And that's also why vices can be so uh, scary because what actually happens is that, you know, like you, for instance, you allow yourself to do something, but you also like, yeah, you do something and therefore it becomes problematic. Yeah. And that's one thing that is useful about, um, yeah, I was actually, I was actually thinking like uh, there's, for instance, I would say like, I'm thinking about like, that there is something, for instance, more problematic about the vices that happen dur during, uh, for instance, the viewing of pornography as mm -hmm. opposed to the viewing of a movie that has evil in it. Because with the pornography, you're actually somewhat participating, obviously yeah. not really, because, but, but there is, um, there's something to be said that you're actually performing a ritual while, I think so. you know, engaging with it. And, and that actually makes it sc scarier in some ways, as opposed to what I'm indeed doing with Nietzsche is like, I'm not then, oh, Nietzsche, the singing all these songs, <laughs> you know, like, I'm, I'm not, like, I'm not going to You don't do have that. a behavior with it. Yeah, no, 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 not really. But I do find it very interesting to entertain it. And that's also, I guess, that then relates back to what Hume was saying, is that like, and that I can entertain the thoughts without really it taking me over. Though obviously, sometimes it still does, but I'm just saying like, it, that's already so, yeah. so much more different than other vices. For I guess it's always the dose that matters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I just quickly wanted to go back also like to what you said, like, uh, because I know that you read all of Wolfgang Smith's works, or at least the ones that are available. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, can you tell me a little bit about his criticism of Jung? Like, because you you brought up Jung yourself. And, oh, the yeah. the chapter he speaks about him is called The Deification of the Unconscious. Yeah. His biggest criticism is that he thinks that Carl Jung basically turns the unconscious into God. Yeah. And another criticism is that he understands, well, Wolfgang Smith understands Jung to understand Christ as um, one side of the coin and the other side is lucifer yeah, yeah yeah and actually christ is like both in a sense yeah yeah, yeah. sort of so it's like you need lucifer and you need christ mm -hmm. and he has a false understanding of god according mm -hmm. to smith and also he thinks that jung kind of started a false religion um, i don't know if right, you want right. to expand on that but i think you understand what i'm saying yeah no no yeah no yeah so like so that was Mostly, I think what I what I already got from it, uh, but it's useful like to be reminded because like that then ties in because one thing that you and I are also amazed by is Bernardo Castrup and he is really and it's also it's it's really interesting to see like for instance John Fervaki's lectures on romanticism where he talks about Schopenhauer and how problematic it is you know and then we see what someone like Wolfgang Smith but also other people can say about someone like Jung or like what Peugeot says about Jung you know indeed like the Gnosticism that is present in Jung exactly sorry that's the best criticism actually that's yeah. how he describes it as well the Gnosticism oh yeah 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 it's exactly. like Jung yeah. is a Gnostic 
Yeah, but yeah, but Jung knows it like like Jung Jung <laughs> Jung researched the Gnostics. Yeah, so yeah. like so 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 this is not like uh, controversial. Like he kind of embraces this. Yeah, yeah. But I would I would just say like then it becomes interesting to know to uh, to think of someone like Kastrup who is so influenced by both Schopenhauer and Jung, and you can hear it, and that's why I I never like fully you know accept his his view in some ways because something about it feels off, and I really respect him. I think he's done he's doing such amazing amazingly important work in so many regards but at the same time he says things like you know my diamond doesn't care about me my diamond is completely indifferent to how i'm doing like he doesn't actually want the best for me but he yeah. still follows it so that's very interesting or that he's like you know we need to help that that that's something he takes from jung we need to make god conscious god is actually unconscious we're making god conscious so there's all these these gnostic <laughs> elements that are from jung that are also in uh, and, and, and that you know like what 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 he also says and that's then the Schopenhauerian aspect is like you know there's, there's just this irrational will it doesn't care about us it's just doing his thing and therefore you know we we need to how should I say it we should be aware of that that we're just you know this this brief moment of consciousness from that so actually he is a in some ways a far more sour and darker view of for instance, reality than someone like Wolfgang oh, yeah. Smith or John Fervecki, even though I, I think he's great, but I'm just saying like that reminds me sometimes of. Uh, That's really cool, stuff. actually, that you point that out. I, I think this is one of your strengths to, <laughs> yeah, really, because I, I listen to all these guys mm. and I can't really, well, you map it out very well and you've done that before for me and it's very useful because Kastrup is like, uh, <laughs> he's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, he's, and to, he's, to pinpoint yeah. pinpoint his characteristics is very cool. Yeah, well, and to be fair, like to be fair to him, so like I'm really not. I, I love I, you, Bernardo. Yeah, exactly. Like you're if you're Bernardo, you're if you're watching, a... we love you. But but also like that he, that he said in that conversation with Peugeot that he has a, a whole room dedicated to Orthodox icons, and that that he yeah yeah. Uh, so so that shows that. But like, similar to Jung, huh? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're right. Maybe yeah. not out. Maybe like people people don't fully realize what they're buying into, and. Um, the person themselves might be much more filled with love and all these things. Yeah. But Wolfgang Smith's biggest criticism of Jung is exactly this, that, that he starts a false religion. Jung yeah. doesn't even agree with this. Jung wouldn't, I think, applaud people that take his word as gospel. Mm -hmm. Jung was like the most yeah. sane person. He's probably mm -hmm. a Catholic. <laughs> and I think Kastrup similarly could do something similar where... Yeah. Uh, he starts something that is not really what he exactly believes, but yeah. it's what people take from him, and that can be dangerous. So I I, I, I do agree. I, I would um, partially nuance that. So like so, for instance, one criticism that Verveke is also aimed towards Jung, and you know that Verveke also appreciates Jung in many regards. Yeah, but it's like is that Jung, and that's kind of similar, like Heidegger. And now that I've read both of them, uh, congrats, man! I don't know how you do it. <laughs> Heidegger for me is like, well, I need some. Help. Heidegger is fantastic if you discover, even though he's also awful and he was a Nazi, you know. But he's it's it's leave that aside. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, yeah. Well, you know. Anyways, cut um, we cut it out. No, I'm definitely like I definitely. I understand. You, you told us before. I definitely find that problematic. Okay. Okay. Um. Um. I should say it. Yes, like what they both do is that they actually take a lot of inspiration from other thinkers, and they don't credit them as much. And uh, and that's that's relevant because according to 
for Fakie, this kind of shows that they were building a mystique around them. Like, oh, you know, who is this person? How yeah. do they have all this wisdom? And that's actually, even Peterson, in some ways, buys into it because he says, like, I would like to know how Jung knew everything he did. And that's partially because Jung rarely tells where he got stuff stuff from, you know? Yeah. And so I still think he's great. And, and I also know, you know, like he had his affairs, you know, that he he had a relationship with the woman, but at the same time... really. He, yeah, like he he cheated on on on, on his wife oh, with uh, mul multiple different people. So really, like, and, and, yeah, but, but I mean, like really, I I also think Jung is a great person. I'm just saying, like these are all aspects that we need to keep in mind. Wow, that in some ways, this. and that's that's because like there was this almost. Wait, I'm losing him. Lots of women got interested in Jung's work because it makes yeah. sense, right? Like because like unconscious are you losing me i'm you're still here okay am i back Speak. you're back back i'm yeah. still here yeah you're good you're good yeah hello <laughs> okay okay okay. i just meant to say like he, he got a lot of um, female followers very early on yeah. um and that's be partially because of the mystique and partially because he had a world view that was that spoke to them far more than the scientific rationalism you know like it's like no this is mystical and it's uh, it's about the unconscious and mm. and, and he, he appreciates the feminine and and therefore I, I do think like so i still think he's great i'm just saying like there's reasons to suppose that actually people like heidegger uh people like jung do did somewhat like had a dark side which was kind of appreciating that there was this cult being built around them you know yeah that really uh and that is that's also what uh what someone like Fervaki is so scared of you know is that he like okay i don't want a cult to be built around me in so that sense i really must yeah. uh compliment Fervaki because yeah. i think he does such a good job of hmm. really behaving the best he can like the yeah he really embodies the sage for me yeah and it's i'm actually very I'm pretty appalled by what you just said. Like, I'm pretty shocked because when I started reading Jung, I was like really enamored with him. And then more and more, I started to take some distance. I still read him on occasion and I find yeah. him very insightful and interesting, mm -hmm. but I find a person's personal life extremely important, Yeah, especially with thinkers that have such influence. Like uh, mm -hmm. I think it's a really good marker of a person if they're in a, yeah. in a stable relationship. And of course, sometimes that goes wrong. Yeah. But if you cheat on a person multiple times, you know? Yeah, that's, so, that's... <laughs> like, please, like, do definitely... You can, by the way, watch the movie A Dangerous Affair where they oh, show this with at least one... Let me uh, write this down. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a movie with, um, I think, uh, Kira Knightley plays uh, Sabina Spielrein. And then you have really? Viggo Mortensen plays... Freud and then Michael Fassbender plays Jung, so it's oh, all these I've famous seen, actors. I've seen uh, pictures of this. That's yeah. so cool. No, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's a great movie, but it's still good. It's it's still interesting and good to watch because it's it's based on a book, and and you know you should then look up and probably there's all these historical inaccuracies, but still you can watch it with uh, your partner. I'd say like yeah. it's, it's definitely useful for that. But uh, it shows some of these elements of Jung. Um, and I would also say, like, I really, I do want to be careful because, like, we do all have our, have our weaknesses, and he was never like glorifying this aspect of himself. No, and no, no. It might, course. it might also be that he acknowledges it as as a weakness, you know. So I haven't done my research so so thoroughly that I know what his stance upon that was, or if he ever expressed remorse in that regard, you know. Like all those aspects are also super relevant. Yeah. Um, but I'm just trying to say, like, yeah, he was definitely not a saint in some ways. Like he was. Well, that uh, helps me. That helps me. 
I don't he think was... he was a shaman. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> but I, I'm just I trying to be a saint that. myself. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. uh, I think it's the answer to the meaning crisis in many ways, yeah. societally speaking and personally yeah. speaking. I see that really as a one of the quests that we should be aiming for. Like for me, it's an every moment type of thing, and you can be very intellectual, but that's mm. that's only a small side to it. Yeah, but yeah, I really yeah. appreciate I really appreciate the perspective. I'm also yeah. keeping you for way too long. I know that. Uh, yeah, I should probably add off soon. Uh, I, I I I do want to mention like someone like Nietzsche is also like uh, I should say it. Like he is also trying to emphasize always the the opposites, you know. So he's also like actually when he was twelve, he already thought uh, when he conceptualized the Holy Trinity for himself because he was then then still very Christian. Yeah. He also thought that you know it was it wasn't God, Spirit and Son. It was God, Satan and Son. Like he really thought like God obviously has to like you know show oh. like uh, di- dissociate himself from 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 the from the evil but that is also part of him you know like it's a, so in that sense it's it's interesting to see because obviously nietzsche also influenced jung and and that there is this parallel between them in that regard and therefore and and he, he's also very influenced by heraclitus a greek thinker who is about the coincidence of opposites and someone like mcgilchrist by the way is also super influenced by nietzsche and by heraclitus like heraclitus is i think his favorite philosopher Uh, but to say like there should always be a coincidence of opposites and in some ways that's also why i i don't i haven't made up my mind about this in some ways you know like i i obviously like i i have this understanding of the transcendent and of the beautiful and of all these these aspects that we can associate with the divine. But I also do see like there is a risk in denying the opposite. And that's what people like Jung and Nietzsche are afraid of is, you know, like that we, that we risk and, and Heraclitus, you know, like if we only emphasize the good, the bad will creep up, you know, like, and actually, yeah, you and therefore you Satan. should be, yeah, exactly. And, and and therefore you should be aware of both of them. You should try yeah. to integrate both of them and not deny it. So there's also something to be said for that perspective. So for I haven't sure. fully made up my mind on how to balance that really, you know? Okay, guys, listen to Be Prepared from The Lion King, if you're still listening. And listen to also the modern version. There's something to it. <laughs> I I take from this conversation, like, I'll at least try to understand it but not be overtaken by it that's for me the most important thing but i really don't yeah. want to keep you longer i have so many more thoughts <laughs> i want to speak about mozart but we'll we'll figure it out oh i i don't even like i mean i've listened to mozart every now and then have Rec you watched amadeus great. yeah a long time ago watch like, it again watch it i'll again. watch it i'll watch it again watch okay it again. okay it's yeah. a good movie that's good and we can talk about that next time guys this man is speaking big weekend I'm not going to be there. I'm really sad about this. I have a test week and um, I really need to do well on this. So I'm sad not to. It's okay, man. It's okay, yeah, man. I'm really sad. Is it going to be filmed actually? I I think it likely will be. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to see you on Wednesday. We are meeting. If people are around in the Netherlands, we are meeting. Can I say this? Is this allowed? Yeah. Okay. We are meeting on Wednesday in mm-hmm. Amsterdam with the one and only Paul van der Kly. Mm-hmm. And so if you are in town, if you're interested in this little corner, leave a message. Um, you can join. I think we're also organizing yeah. something in The Hague on Thursday. I would even say that The Hague is probably even more suitable. Like if, if so if, if both are options for you, then The Hague yeah. is probably better. Um, also because, yeah, we're just going to be walking a, uh, around a lot in 
Amsterdam, whereas in sure. The Hague, they really have this session planned where we can like where they can have dinner together, you know, and that's uh, so just saying like, yeah, but, super um, nice. And I'm from The Hague. It's the best city. It's the most highest quality of life city, according to world statistics. <laughs> yeah. But it's cold. It's very cold. So mm-hmm. be prepared. But um, but so yeah, that's the last thing I will see you. So uh, I can wish you good luck then. But, Thank you uh, so much, brother. It was lovely to talk to you. It was amazing to speak to you. We got to yeah. two of my questions, I think, or three. <laughs> so more for next time. Awesome. I'll have to always... interview you at some point because uh, yeah, go yeah. ahead, man. Start uh, your channel. It's time. <laughs> you're gonna you you should like ride this wave right now of your talk and all these things. I think yeah, it would right, be right. very cool to yeah. just get it going because I do see interest, a lot of interest in Nietzsche. Jordan Peterson said, "I sent you the clip." Nietzsche mm-hmm. is uh, what? What was the question again? Like, who's a philosopher that people should? Think oh yeah, of right it was now? like, and then it was like, oh, I don't think they should. Oh, okay, maybe Nietzsche. He's deadly. <laughs> he said something like that. Exactly. You know, like that that so like I a think... philosopher that everyone should read. For sure. And yeah. yeah, that's it. And there's a part to play for that. And you're someone who uh, <laughs> who's internalizing all of that. Well, maybe not internalizing, but taking it in a little bit. So thank you, sir. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you guys for listening. See you soon. And, uh, have a nice rest of your evening. Yeah, Bye-bye. thank you, man. You too. See Bye. You.